Well, it is a blessing to be here with you all, to worship together with you all. And, um, you know, everyone that's here this morning is here for a reason. God has called you to be here. He's invited you into his house. Let that sink in for a minute. He has invited you into his house. That should make you feel special. (laughs) It makes you feel special. It should make you feel loved and appreciated. God invited each one of us individually into his house this morning. And we have a bit of a special uh, service for you today. We got a, a tag team sermon coming your way. I get to, to preach alongside my, my boy Ryan over there, and um, hopefully you think it's special in a good way after service is over. Um, but I have the privilege of getting to work directly with Ryan here at Crosswinds, and one of our primary responsibilities here is helping people get plugged into life here at the church, helping people become uh, an active part of the body of Christ. And it is through that work together that we have discovered this mutual passion uh, for the local church. We have this, this shared, unwavering belief that the church is the hope of the world, and we're both excited to share that with you this morning. Now, if you're listening and, and you just heard me say the church is the hope of the world, maybe you're wondering, wait a minute, I thought Jesus was the hope of the world. And if you're wondering that, you are absolutely correct. Jesus is the hope of the world. But here's the thing. Jesus has returned to the right hand of God, our Heavenly Father, and he's preparing to come back again. And in that space between, that time between, guess what? God in his infinite wisdom has empowered us to carry on the work of Jesus Christ. Scripture has has defined us as Christ's ambassadors, which means we actually bear the identity of Jesus Christ wherever we go. So we as the church, by extension, are the hope of the world. We are the hope of the world. So I I just ask you to keep that in mind as Ryan uh, makes his way up here to elaborate on that even more. And I'm going to invite us once again to bow our heads and close our eyes. We're going to quickly go to God in prayer before the reading of his scriptures this morning. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much, so much for today. Thank you for bringing us here, Lord. And um, God, I pray that you would open up our hearts, our minds, our eyes, and our ears to the truth of your word. May we be challenged, uh, motivated, inspired, and transformed by your holy scriptures this morning, we pray in your name. Amen. So, good morning. Um, Like Chris said, I'm Ryan. I'm the Connections Director here. And it's a privilege that I get to be up here in a different light. Some of you might say, well, that's the same light, but a different one. Um, When I was asked uh, a couple months ago to uh, speak and to teach with Chris, um, we had, you know, we sat down and we, we talked about, you know, what was God laying on our hearts? And immediately the past 12 months came to my mind. Um, About 12 months ago, Uh, I was feeling an overwhelming sense of restlessness and discontent. Uh, I was feeling that the ministry I was bringing to God's kingdom was stagnant, so much so that I started to look for a way out because I felt like I was no longer offering anything to the church. But as I was feeling that, God did a miraculous work in my life showing me my why. So I've really started to utilize that, that, that thought of what is my why over the past 12 years, what was my purpose as a Christ follower? What was my purpose as someone who worked in the local church? What does God want from me? These were all the questions that I was asking myself as I approached this moment of should I stay at Crosswinds or should I go? 
Well, in godlike fashion, he showed up in a miraculous way. He lit a fire in me, showing me where my heart was at and where my passion stemmed. And it was the local church. He helped me find my why. And so as I stand here before you today, I'm excited for us, the local church, to dig into this question of why the church is the hope of the world. Key in on that why. Why is the church the hope of the world? So as believers have accepted Christ in their life, they have been given the power of Christ through the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you, we can't just ignore the fact that we, a body of believers, have the power of Christ dwelling inside of us. And in scripture, Matthew shows us a conversation between Jesus and his disciples. And we go to Matthew 16. That's where we'll be at this morning. We'll jump around a couple places. But Matthew 16, and we come across this account of Jesus heading into the district of Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus asks a very simple yet leading question. Listen to what it says. Matthew 16, 13 through 18 says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do you say that the Son of Man is? And they say, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others say, or, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not yet revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So to help answer this, for this question of why the church, why is the church the hope of the world, it brings me to my first of two points, which is that the church has been built to withstand the gates of hell. The church has been built to withstand the gates of hell. Jesus so clearly states that Peter, that on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. As we read through verse 18, we come to this understanding, its meaning. Now, I had sat down with Craig a little bit before and kind of read through my message with him. And so this next part is a little bit of credit to Craig, so I'll give that out to him. Um, but he kind, of, he kind of, he put this in a perspective of a, of a way that I had Never really heard it before in this sense, but it helped me understand what verse 18 is talking about and what it's picturing is that the gates that Jesus is talking about are not the gates surrounding the church. So I, not that I didn't know that, but he opened my eyes and because the church has been given the freedom to go, the gates that Jesus is talking about are the gates surrounding hell. So picture this with me. The church approaches the gates of hell, whatever size, whatever stature, whatever power those gates hold, the church has been built to withstand them and knock them down. The church has already been promised victory, and as this world seems to get crazier and crazier, what, the one thing that has been built to withstand against that craziness is the church. Is that it's you, it's me, it's those who have come to know Christ in the past, and it's those who have yet to come to know Christ, but will. And so, with that thought, we should move in his confidence knowing that whatever we face, whatever gates we come up against, that we have been built to withstand those gates. Or that the gates of hell have been built to be knocked down by the mobilizing body of believers that we are. And so, 
with us already claiming victory, he's given us, he's so gracefully given us through his son, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. That's the power that dwells within us. And so back to the word move, I hope, and if you don't know this, it's a new revelation. The word move is a verb. It's an action word. It means to go. And we need to go and we need to move and we need to ask ourselves, well, what are we moving towards and what should we, what are we supposed to be going to? And so, well, Matthew comes to that point in Matthew 28. Some of you may know this passage as the Great Commission. For those of you who have never heard of this passage before, listen to what is being commanded, what is being said and what is being commanded of believers. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 states, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always till the end of the age. So this scripture clearly states my second point, which is we have been commanded by Jesus to go and teach to make disciples, to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to observe all that we, or that he has commanded us to do. The passage of the Great Commission, I'm not going to lie, gets me pretty hyped up. With having a passion of the local church, hearing this, I can't help but read this passage and feel like a fire has been lit within me, because when we ask ourselves the question, well, what am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? And what am I supposed to move towards? As a believer, it's this. I went to my first church camp before I was a believer. I felt a call into ministry before I was a believer. And I made a decision to walk away from a career in football before I was a believer. I was 18 years old when I made a decision to follow Christ. I was walking blindly by faith in the power that only God could manifest. And once that decision was made, was when I started to realize all the ways he was moving in my life before I had accepted his power in my life. Now, I had mentioned that during the time I was exploring faith, that was when I was felt called to ministry. It was also around that time that the gospels were presented to me. It was the first time I came face to face with the, with the Great Commission. And... Whenever I, I, I heard, whenever I started to think about go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the, uh, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and, and do these things that I have taught you and I command you to do, I found myself saying, well, it's a lot easier for you to do it because you're a pastor. It's kind of your job. It's what you're supposed to do. I was just this 18-year-old kid who was like, I just accept Jesus for the first time. How am I supposed to do that? But the beauty of that story is that even when I didn't know who he was, he was already working in my life. And when I finally accepted him, I was able to walk into his power. When I finally accepted him, I was able to walk in his power. Also, by no means did this happen overnight. I may have said yes to Jesus, but I was actively learning how to I guess, be a pastor. I, was, I went to school for Christian ministry. So I was, it took me three years of going to school and to, to do this. And all of these things were being presented to me every day in a different way that I, it, was, it took me a long time to really realize the work that he was doing in my life. All those decisions that I made were him calling me 
into his power before I was a believer. So the point is that I know that every one of us have in our lives people who have yet to know and experience the power of Jesus Christ. And most of you here are every, all of us here are everyday missionaries in our everyday mission field. And you might be asking, well, what does that mean? Well, it means that wherever you find yourself day to day, you have been commanded to go and teach the message of love, the love and message of Jesus Christ. It's plain and simple. Everyday missionaries in your everyday mission field. As the first point stated, if we know that we, the church, are a mobilizing body of believers to prevail against any gates that we come across, then we should have zero fear of moving to preach and teach the message of Jesus. So before Chris comes up here and helps us answer the question of how the church is the hope of the world, I want you to remember those two points, is that we have been, the church has been built to withstand the gates of hell, to prevail against it, and that we have been commanded by Jesus to go and teach. I hope by now you're, this, this idea that the church of the hope of the world is becoming more than just a vague idea, but you're understanding that it is an absolute reality. And, and I hope that maybe you're starting to get a little bit excited about this reality because you and I are part of this movement that has shaped history and is influencing eternity. And that's a big deal. This is what God has called us to do. Again, God in his infinite and unfathomable wisdom, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to us completely, but he's decided to partner with humanity in order to save humanity and to restore humanity to what God had originally intended. So I think for this to really start to sink in, we have to, we have to really reflect on what Ryan just taught us, the why is the church of the hope of the world and then we have to look at how. How can the church be the hope of the world? How can the church be the hope of the world? And I think one way we can kind of really get into that question is to consider if it's true that the church is the hope of the world, then what else must be true about us? If that's true, then what else is then true? And I'm gonna share a few of those with you, but listen to this, these truths while they are always true and always will be true, they will not impact us in a personal way, in a deep way, if we don't choose to truly believe that these truths are true. Does that make any sense? It made sense in my head. We have to believe that these truths are true, otherwise it doesn't really matter. And so listen to this. The first, the first thing that, if it's true that the church is the hope of the world, then what else is true about us? The first thing is this. We have to believe that God's power is real and active in our lives. We have to believe that God's power is real and active in our lives. This is essentially what faith is. Faith is not simply just believing in God. There's a lot of people that believe there is a God out there, there's some higher power out there, and Scripture tells us that even the demons believe in God. What faith is, is believing in God and then also believing in His power that his power is real, it is limitless, it is able to do far more than we could ever hope for or imagine. And it's something that we have access to, it's something that we can take hold of. And it's something that God wants to use in us and through us. 
There's a lot of scripture that speaks to this reality, but this year I've just been camped in Romans and really just devouring uh, the book of Romans. And, and throughout much of it, Paul is, is teaching about God's covenant and his promise with his people, but there's one part where he zeroes in on this reality that the promise of God was realized through faith. And Paul looks at, at Abraham. He refers to, to Abraham as the ultimate human example of faith in God's power. And Paul writes about uh, God's promise to Abraham to make him the father of many nations. And he talks about after, after so long that Abraham had reached the age of almost 100 years old, he still had no son. He still hadn't given birth to someone. And, and Sarah was just as old and, and they hadn't had a son yet that could, that could uh, bear a children for them and carry on this bloodline and be part of this uh, many nations that God had promised. But listen to what Paul writes about Abraham in Romans 4, 18 through 21. It says, In hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he has been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised to do. What, we had, what he had promised to do. We have to believe because it's true that if God had the power to keep his promise to Abraham, then by, when he kept his promise to Abraham, when by world standards, it was impossible for Abraham to to have a son. It was impossible for Sarah to give birth. But God kept his promise and, and Abraham believed in that power of that promise and it came to pass. God's promise was fulfilled and if he's able to do that impossible thing in Abraham's life, it's the same God that's able to do these seemingly impossible things in our lives today. We have God's power in us. It is real and it is something that we have access to. And it is how the church can be the hope of the world because we can take that power out with us. The same power that made Abraham the father of many nations dwells in us today. That should change everything for us. It should change the way we see ourselves. It should change the way we see other people. It should change the way we see our daily lives, simply uh, walking into work or going to school or going to the grocery store. We're carrying God's power with us. And who knows what could happen? So God's power is real and active in our lives. The second thing, if, if the church is the hope of the world, then what else must be true? The second thing, the second truth we have to believe is that we are truly free from sin. We are truly free from sin. One of the biggest obstacles to experiencing God's power is sin. That's one of the biggest obstacles, obstacles to experiencing God's power. And one of the biggest reasons it can be so easy to keep falling back into sin is that we don't truly believe that we are truly set free from sin. I think for many of us, consciously or subconsciously, we hold on to this idea that I'm eventually going to do it again. Maybe I've reached a season where I'm kind of over that, but at some point I'm going to fall back into that again. And, and you know what? It's okay because I'm only human. I've said it here before and I'll say it again. I hate that phrase, I'm only human. 
No, we are human created by God with his power in us. There's something more to that. There's something powerful to that. And we can truly be free from sin because we have been set free from sin. We're going back into Romans and we're going to briefly explore a passage that makes it so clear that by the power of Christ, we have been set free from sin. Listen to Romans 6, verses 5 through 11. It says, For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, just a quick reading of this passage of Scripture. It may sound a little bit confusing. Paul is teaching things that had never been taught before, and he had to come up with ways to express these amazing truths. And so it may come off a bit confusing. We can't unpack everything that this passage explains this morning. I want to draw our attention instead to one particular verse from this passage. Verse 9. Paul says something uniquely true about Jesus. He says that Jesus was raised from the dead and will never die again. Jesus was raised from the dead and will never die again. We have to understand that that is what sets Jesus apart from any other religious figure that has been thought of in history before. It's what sets Christianity apart from any other faith. It's Jesus and his resurrection, and Jesus' resurrection is unique. Jesus died and will never die again. So maybe we find ourselves asking, what does this have to do with us? What does this have to do with us? What does this have to do with freedom from sin? Well, listen, Jesus, he died, he was raised from the dead, and he'll never die again. There have been people who had been brought back to life before Jesus. Jesus himself, he raised Lazarus from the dead. He brought Jairus' daughter back from the dead. The apostles brought people back from the dead. Paul, who wrote this passage of scripture, he himself had brought someone back from the dead. It's actually kind of a funny, awful story all in one. There's one account of Paul. He's, he's teaching long into the night, and there's a guy named Eutychus who's sitting at, by, by an open window. And Paul had been teaching such a long and boring sermon that Eutychus fell asleep and fell out of the window and died. Tragic and funny at the same time. If you ever think that we preach a long sermon here, just remember that. <laughs> well, listen, Paul ran downstairs, rushed down to the street, found Eutychus' body. He laid his hands on him, he prayed over him, and guess what? Eutychus was brought back to life. And then we've all heard stories, or maybe you know someone, or maybe you yourself experienced this, people who have, whose hearts have stopped, who've been legally dead, but have been resuscitated back to life. We've all heard stories of that. We've all heard stories of that. So if all of these resurrections have happened, what makes Jesus so special? It's the fact 
Paul plainly says it for us that Jesus died, was raised from the dead, and will never die again. Lazarus was raised from the dead, but he would die again. Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead, but she would die again. Eutychus would die again. Anyone whose heart has ever stopped and has been brought back to life, guess what? They will die again. Jesus, though, was raised from the dead and will never die again. So again, what does this have to do with freedom from sin? What does this have to do with anything we're talking about? Well, listen, the power of sin is death. The power of sin is death. But Jesus overcame death, and for us, even though we're in Christ, guess what? We will die. We're going to die. All of us will die. It's a reality of life. But then, because we're in Christ, we will be raised back from the dead and we will never die again. We're going to share in that resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, sin has lost its power in our lives. If the power of sin is death and death has been conquered and overcome by Jesus and we share in that resurrection, sin has no power in our lives. We can be truly free from sin. We can be truly free from sin, but we have to believe that that is true. Otherwise, we will keep falling back into sin. When we embrace the reality that we are free from sin, oh, God's power, it is able to reign freely and supremely in our lives in such ways that we can't even imagine. And it, would, it will pour out from us and, and wash over other people and change lives around us. And that's when the church is the hope of the world. That's why the gates of hell cannot hope to stand against it. If we are obedient to Christ's great commission to go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. The church has been set free from the crippling control of sin. The church has been empowered by God to be the hope of the world. And if we would just be obedient to God and take every opportunity he gives us to go out and make disciples, then listen, the church would assault the very gates of hell. It'll happen. It'll happen. What is the answer to all the problems in the world? It's Jesus. There is no other answer. There is no alternative. There is no mystery to this. What is the answer to the problems in the world? It's Jesus Christ. Who has the privilege and responsibility of sharing that answer with the world? We do. As Christ followers who've been set free from sin, who get to share in the resurrection and new life of Jesus Christ. That's why the church is the hope of the world. That's how the church can be the hope of the world. The first step is first for anyone to take is to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So if you're sitting here this morning, you're watching online this morning, and you haven't said yes to Jesus, I ask you a question, what are you waiting for? Stop waiting. Just say yes to Jesus, invite him in, see what happens. See for yourself what God can do in your life. And for the rest of us, we have to, we have to embrace these truths. We have to embrace these truths that God has called us to go out and teach, to assault the gates of hell. And we're able to do that because God's power is real and active in us and we have been set free from the debilitating power of sin. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, our savior. And Lord, I lift up anyone here in this room or online, God, that is making that decision for the first time, God. Just overwhelm them, Lord, with your presence and your power. And for those of us who've already made that decision, God, just 
may we see you. May we see your word. May we see how you want to use us in fresh and new ways today. Open our eyes to all that you want to do in and through us, Lord. We love you, we praise you, and thank you. And pray this in your name. Amen. I'm back. So we're going to, we're going to close with a new song. Um, and in this song, you're going to hear, I'm calling on the God of Jacob, Moses, Mary, and David. The same, the same God whose love endures for generations, who parted the Red Sea, who slays giants, and who gave us through the Virgin Mary, Jesus Christ. The same power dwells in each and every one of you. You just have to receive it. And the first step that anyone can take is to, to experience the power of God in their lives is to accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. I don't know where you're at or what life is throwing at you. And there's a part in this song, and it's my favorite part in this song, and it says, I may not face Goliath, but I have my own giants. I love that. Those giants are not meant to be faced alone. But we have to be willing to take that step. Whether that is accepting Christ for the first time or maybe it's surrendering to God all your hurts, habits, and hangups, whatever it is, we have to make ourselves right with God in whatever step that looks like. So all I know is that the same power who raised Lazarus or who called out to Peter to walk on water is the same power that God wants to use in you. So I invite you to take whatever posture of worship you may need. And I'm gonna do something we have, we're gonna do something that we haven't, we don't do a whole lot. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that if you're feeling this nudge that, man, I got some giants that I need to face or I need, I need to get right with God, whatever that looks like for you, I'm gonna invite you to come forward. You might be like, whoa, come forward. There's a step that we all need to take. Whatever that looks like in our lives, we don't do it alone. So if you feel like you need to come forward, please come forward. If you feel like you need to surrender everything at your seat and you just need to bow in reverence to Jesus Christ, do that. Whatever it is, face that giant today.